In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of the Holy Great Fast, and we read in the Gospel reading the story of the Samaritan woman who went to a well during the day to draw water, and the Lord Christ was there and met with her and spoke with her. And we know the outcome of the story at the end is that the Lord, in, sh in being truthful and honest with her and showing compassion and mercy to her, that the woman um, converted, she repented of her sins, she went and she spoke with all the people in her village about her experience with the Lord, and they came and they saw him for themselves and they all believed. But part of this conversation that the Lord had with this woman to get her to repent and to look and to see inside of herself the way that she was living and how this way was actually a hindrance to her, that it was actually keeping her from knowing the truth and from experiencing the fullness of the, the experience with God and the relationship with God. He says in verse 18, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. What he was exposing in her life was sexual immorality that she was living in and that she was comfortable with this life that she was living and actually she had many husbands and she would go from man to man uh, in this way. And so we want to speak today about the stumbling block of sexual immorality, which to many people is an extreme stumbling block. And it is something that is keeps a person in a, in a kind of a bondage, in a kind of slavery, uh, in a, a constant feeling that every time we try to take one step toward God, maybe we take two or three steps backwards, or at least that's how we feel. And so sexual immorality is a very uh, critical and important uh, thing to discuss when we are speaking, especially in the great fast, which we, we focus on asceticism, we focus on protecting our senses, we focus on denying the flesh, and maybe we discover during such a, such a time of ascetic practices that we have this struggle with the sexual immorality in various forms that is actually keeping us from meeting our full potential and keeping us from fully seeing and experiencing God. So what are some lessons that we learn about sexual immorality? The first is that the war of sexual immorality is a universal war. It is not something that applies only to a specific type of person, or only applies to men and not to women, or only applies to people of a certain age group, or only it applies to people who are single and not married. It, it applies to everyone. It is something that attacks all of us, that we are all struggle with it, that we all fight against it, that we all experience it, the sin of sexual immorality. And so there is no status of any person we can say is this person is exempt from this. Even the monastics themselves who have taken the most extreme uh, vows to leave the world behind, to live a life of celibacy, to live a life of poverty, to live a life of obedience, even they who deny themselves even watching media, even doing anything that is in the world that could be a source of temptation, and yet, even among them, there is also the, the, the struggle of sexual immorality. And if we read in the Paradise of the Fathers, we read the many, many stories of the monks who, were, uh, was, who struggled and who fought with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is the, the devil taking a good and righteous desire inside a human being and twisting it and perverting it and turning it into something evil and something that is destructive. The desire for sexuality in itself is actually God-given, and it is good. And yet what makes it dangerous and what makes it something that is a stumbling block and what, what makes it something that can destroy a person 
is not the desire itself, but it is the way that the devil takes that desire and confuses it, perverts it, makes it into something that is a deviation. And then he, he fills us with this passion, which on its foundation, again, the basic desire is a good one, but he offers it to us poisoned, in a, in a state of being poisoned. Just like a person who wants to eat good food, and yet the enemy comes and he takes that food and he puts poison in it, and he says, now eat of it. And so on the one hand, our senses tell us this is good. On our, on our one hand, the senses are attracted to it because this is something that we desire. But on the other hand, it is filled with poison. And so the Lord warns us of this uh, sin and this temptation of sexual immorality because it is something that can destroy many, many people. And certainly in our modern times and with the availability of uh, the internet and the kinds of things that one can find on there, a person does not have to go far and does not have to do much in order to indulge their desire for, se for sexual immorality. And we find it everywhere. And it is something that we have to learn to, um, to, to protect ourselves from. So the first point about sexual immorality is that the war is universal. The second is all who were slain by her were strong men. We read in Proverbs chapter 7, a personification of sexual immorality where King Solomon takes the idea of lust and sexual immorality and he turns it into kind of a, a, a woman, okay, not a real woman, into, into a personification of a woman. And he says about this woman, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. If maybe we think that any of us is strong enough in order to overcome sexual immorality on our own or to live life without boundaries, without gates, without things to protect ourselves from it, very intentionally protecting ourselves from it, and that we will not fall into it, we are fooling ourselves. Because what King Solomon is saying is that those people who fell to this woman of sexual immorality were even the strongest. If you look at the people that fell into sexual immorality, King David, for instance, a person whom God says about him that he is a man after my own heart, and King David, we see him in, in, in just a couple of chapters in the scripture that he lusts after a woman, he takes her even though she is married, and he kills her husband. All these things happen in such a short span of time from this man whom God says is a man after my own heart. King David, who's the one who slew Goliath. King David is the one who, who was able to, to kill a bear with his bare hands or a lion. King David is the one who, who, who led Israel and who was the first righteous king of Israel, the one who, whom God used to establish the kingdom and to do so many great and amazing things. King David fell into sexual immorality. Samson is another example, someone whom God chose to be a judge, and yet we see that one of his greatest weaknesses was sexual immorality, and it kept getting him into trouble. He kept going after women who were not good for him, women who were... Uh, who were pagans, women who deceived him, women who ultimately led to his downfall, and yet he kept continuing to go after them, even though he knew their intentions. And he knew Delilah, she, she, she was a, a woman who uh, was very clearly against him, was very clearly trying to deceive him, and yet he kept going after her again and again. Or King Solomon. King Solomon, it is said about him that he was the wisest man who ever lived. And yet, despite being the wisest man who ever lived, he had so many hundreds of wives because he could, not, he could not control himself. And many of his wives were Gentiles who led him away that for a period of time he was away from God. 
So all those people that we see actually fall into sexual immorality and sexual temptation, these are not people who have no relationship with God. This is not people who are far away or don't understand the scripture. This is not people who have no sense of right and wrong or morality or just don't care or live life kind of on their own or for themselves. No, these are righteous people. These are people whom God chose. These are people who are mighty and powerful in so many ways. Again, King David is the one who had the faith to, to, to slay Goliath, the only one who had the faith to stand before this giant who was nine feet tall and, and, and to kill him while everyone else was afraid. And yet even he fell into sexual immorality. So there is no person who can claim that they are strong enough in order to resist it on their own. It is, not, it is not possible. All who were slain by her were strong men. Number three, those people who conquered sexual immorality, how is it that they conquered it? They conquered it by fleeing. They conquered it by running away. As much as maybe we always speak about those who are courageous and those who are brave are the ones who do not run away, and they are the ones who stand firm and fight, but when it comes to sexual immorality, we are standing in front of something that we cannot defeat. We are unable to defeat it on our own. Those who, who, who conquered fled. We see this in the example of Joseph the righteous when he was attacked by the sexual temptation by the wife of Potiphar and she wanted to, to, to lay with him. And so what was his response? He says what in Genesis thirty-nine twelve. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He did not give himself an opportunity to even be tested. That in that moment when he understood what she was doing, he did not think to himself, you know what, I can stay in the house, but I can control myself. No, he fled, he ran. As fast as he could run, he, f he ran outside, not even leaving, not, not even taking with him his garment that she had in her hand, he left it behind. That's how much he wanted to flee and to escape this temptation. So those people who are the most successful in fighting sexual temptation and sexual immorality are those who run away from every opportunity of experiencing it. They run away from the sources of media that will be a source of temptation. They run away from the people in their lives that are a source of temptation. They run away from their thoughts that come to them and they try to change their thoughts that are a source of temptation. The more that we immerse ourselves in an environment or with people that are constantly bringing to our mind and causing us to experience sexual temptation, it is only a matter of time before we fall. We are not stronger than King David. We are not stronger than Samson. We are not stronger than King Solomon. It is only a matter of time. And the amount of temptation that we are experiencing now and the world that we live in now are orders of magnitude more than the kind of sexual temptation that existed at their time. Again, we have the internet. The internet is the greatest source of sexual temptation. Number four, the war is won or lost at the gates. What does this mean? We read in Sirach chapter 9. He says, do not look around in the streets of a city and do not wander about in its deserted sections. Do not gaze at beauty belonging to another. Many have been led astray by the beauty of a woman. What does it mean that the war is won or lost at the gates? What are the gates? The gates are our senses. The gates are the passageways that allow something to enter into us. That if we are the city, our gates are our senses, our eyes, our ears. Everything that we can experience from the world comes into us and then begins to 
um, begins to be a subject of temptation to us. So if we allow ourselves to be in a place <coughs> or in a situation where we are allowing our senses to experience things that are going to be a source of temptation to us, then we have already lost. We have already lost. Because as we said, a person is not strong enough to endure this. It's only a matter of time. So simply allowing it in is going to result in an inevitable defeat. So if we are fooling ourselves, thinking, you know what, there are TV shows that I like to watch, there are movies that I like to watch, there's things that I like to do, and I don't like to watch them because they're bad. I like to watch the good parts, but the bad parts come with it, and I can't control that, I can't stop it. The good parts are what I like, the bad parts come with it, and so, you know, I just have to deal with it, I have to endure that, or whatever. Like I said, it is only a matter of time. The more that we allow these things to enter the gates, to enter our senses, the more that they are going to build in us uh, something that will lead to some kind of a fall and so again we are not stronger than David we are not stronger than Solomon we are not stronger than Samson if we allow ourselves to be exposed to sin then we will be desensitized to sin if we allow ourselves to be exposed to sin it is only a matter of time before we fall into sin and the thing that is even more dangerous is that once a person begins to fall into sin sin becomes enjoyable and once sin becomes enjoyable then they want to go back to it again and again and again. And this is the nature of sin. And this is the nature of sexual immorality. So to protect ourselves from, from the fall, we have to protect our senses. And a person, no matter in what stage of sexual immorality they might be in, if they begin to fight and, and, and with the grace of God and the power of God and by blocking these things from their senses, they can overcome. They can overcome by blocking this this, this input into their minds, into their hearts, into their senses. They can overcome, but it is a decision that has to be made. It is a decision that we have to choose. I choose to live my life a certain way. What makes it more difficult is because we see maybe everyone around us is doing the same things, right? Everyone around us is watching the same shows. Everyone around us is watching the same movies. Everyone around us is, is doing something very similar. And so we excuse ourselves because it is something that is not that strange. We see it around us in so many places. And yet, it is still damaging to us. And it's damaging to them as well. Maybe we don't see their fall. Maybe we don't know the status of their heart. But it is just as damaging to them. It is damaging to the whole world, even though they do not um, realize it or admit it. Number five, self-control begins with your appetite. In Sirach 18, it says, do not walk after your own desires, but restrain your appetites. If you fill your soul with the desire for pleasure, it will make you the laughingstock of your enemies. The person who is able to control themselves, is able to, is able to control themselves in anything, is able to keep themselves from sin. This is why we fast. We fast to teach ourselves, to train ourselves to be controlled. I can control my senses. I can control my desires. I can have a desire for something, even if that desire is good, like food, and I can tell myself, no, I will not eat it. I can have a desire to, to spend my time doing a certain activity, which in itself is good, but I can control myself, say, no, I will not do it. Simply as a training. This is all that it is. It is a training. We are training ourselves so that when actual sin and actual temptation come, 
We have already been trained. We already know how to say to our flesh, no, I will not give you this thing that you desire. In Proverbs 16:32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Right? The, he's saying here the person who is able to rule their spirit, to control themselves, to control their desires, is mightier than a warrior, than a general, than an army, than is able to go and conquer a city. To conquer one's own nature is far more difficult than to conquer some enemy city. This is what King Solomon is saying. And so we train ourselves. This is a big part of what the great fast is about. That in the training that we are going through during these 55 days, it helps us for the rest of the entire year to be controlled. It helps us for the rest of our lives to be controlled so that we are not suffering the negative consequences of sin. Number six. Be wary of who you associate with. In Sirach chapter 9, it says, Do not associate with a dancing girl, lest you be caught in her schemes. What is he saying? He's saying there are some people, there are some people who maybe we enjoy being in their presence. Why? Because they are loose and they are flirtatious and they make us feel a certain way about ourselves and they don't have strong boundaries. And so being in their presence, we kind of have a certain feeling and a certain desire that we, um, that we feel and we enjoy this experience. Okay? Some people enjoy the thrill of loose relationships without strong boundaries and think again that they are strong enough to resist it. They are strong enough to keep themselves from going too far. But again, as we said, no one is strong enough. It's hard enough to control ourselves even when we are far away from the sources of sin. And yet when we associate very closely with those people who are going to be a great source of sin and fall for us, what hope do we have to overcome? What hope do we have? We put ourselves again in a situation where we set ourselves up for failure in every possible way. And then when we fall, we are surprised. Or when we fall, we ask the question, why did this happen? Well, we, we know why it happened. It happened because we chose poorly. We chose poorly who to associate with. We chose poorly what to allow our eyes to see. We chose poorly where to go. And because of those poor choices, and because of our weakness, there was no way for us to win. We set ourselves up from failure to beginning, from the beginning. So we have to be wary of who we associate with. We also have to be mindful of the consequences of falling into sin. In Proverbs 6, King Solomon says, For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom, and, has, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be seared? If we do all of the motions, if we, if, we, if we allow ourselves to experience all of this without fleeing, like Joseph the righteous did, it is like we are taking hot coals on ourselves and expecting that we will not be burned. Is it possible? It is not possible. Okay, we cannot take fire and not be burned. It is fire. It is destructive. It is, it is a source of destruction for us. Okay, And the outcome can be disastrous. People who fall into sexual immorality can have all kinds of consequences. It can break apart families. 
It can destroy a person's reputation. It can bring disease. It can bring addiction. It can bring a false sense and understanding of sexuality. One of the um, destructive aspects of sexual immorality is it makes people have a wrong perception and view of what godly sexuality looks like. And so they are not satisfied with godly sexuality. It is not something that they, it's not something that they perceive as being sufficient or good. One of the consequences of falling into sexual immorality. We have to be aware of the consequences. This is dangerous. It is dangerous. In the moment when people fall into sexual immorality, it feels and appears to be something desirable, to be something good, but it is afterward that then come the consequences. And a big part of those consequences are the feelings of guilt and shame and sadness and regret. And yet, while even in those feelings, maybe we find ourselves unable to break the cycle and we find ourselves going back again and again and again. God again created sexuality as a good thing but he placed a boundary to it. He says, this is a good thing with a restriction. And if you break this restriction, it no longer becomes good. If you break this boundary, it becomes poison. So he places those boundaries there not to prevent us from enjoying it. He places the boundaries to preserve it so that it remains enjoyable and it remains good and remains fulfilling and it has its purpose. But if we break the boundary, then it has no purpose other than to destroy us. The last point is, at any stage of defeat, never lose hope in God who can turn harlots into saints. So if we struggle with this, and this is something that we are plagued by, and this is something that we have a weakness in, how should we, how should we see ourselves? We know that God is a God of forgiveness and a God of mercy. That even if we find ourselves in various stages of defeat, we still believe and we still know that we can go back to God again and he can transform us, that he can change us, he can protect us, he can give us strength in order to flee, in order to fight, in order to keep from falling into this. We don't have to feel like we are slaves to sin. Christ granted us freedom from bondage so that we are no longer in the bondage of sin, but we are slaves of righteousness. We desire righteousness. But in order for us to achieve this, we have to turn to God to break these bonds of slavery in us. It is not just a matter of trying again. It is not just a matter of working harder. Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to try and make every effort. In, like I said, leaving certain places or stopping to do certain things that are a source of temptation. But unless we turn to God and we truly bring him into this fight, we will not succeed. We will not have success. So a person who is just trying to work harder without strengthening their spiritual life, without praying more, without fasting, without, without turning to God, without asking for forgiveness from God, without seeking strength from God, that person will not succeed. And, and every effort that we make will be simply frustration. And so we turn to God and we ask him to forgive. A perfect example of someone in the church history who struggled with sexual temptation and overcame is St. Mary of Egypt. St. Mary of Egypt, she was a harlot. She lived her life and enjoyed sin. She had no shame in what she was doing. And she found it almost like a, a competition to see that she's able to cause different men in her life to sin, even strangers, whenever she would see them, this was who she was. And then after the, the Lord got her attention, she tried to enter a church 
they're on the Feast of the Resurrection, and she was unable to enter. She there was like some invisible force preventing her from entering. In that moment, she realized that she was rejected by God because of her sinful lifestyle, and so she changed. And she went and she lived for 47 years in the desert in complete isolation, separating herself from the entire world, and she became one of the greatest saints that we have in the church. I am not saying that in order to overcome sexual immorality, we have to leave the world and live in the desert. But there is a spiritual desert. The spiritual desert is a detachment from the things in the world that bring and inflame lust, that inflame the desire for sexual immorality in us, and bringing God into this fight and believing that no matter how much we struggled or continue to struggle with this sin, yet with sincere repentance, that God will forgive and he will accept us and he will continue to work with us even as we struggle and struggle and struggle and yet if we continue to struggle and we do not lose hope, God continues to accept us and God continues to work with us and God continues to transform us. So this is a message for all of us to not lose hope, to continue to fight against sexual immorality, but to take it seriously, to take it seriously. Not just to kind of say, well, this is who I am, and this is my situation and there is nothing that I can do and and this is or even some people might say well this is normal it is normal for me to have these feelings and it's normal for me to exercise them in a certain way and to, 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 to live a certain way even if it is against God's command no God placed his commands for us to live in the best possible way for us to live in a way that is joyful for us to live in a way that is successful, that is fulfilling, that is righteous, that is not destructive to us. And we find that in any way, whether in sexual sins or any other sins, when we go after sin and we live in sin, we find that it is self-destructive and it destroys us. And so God places boundaries on things not to limit us, but to actually help us to enjoy and fulfill all the gifts that he has given. So may God grant us to be like the Samaritan woman who turned away from a life of sin accepted Christ and actually became an evangelist who went and he spoke about him to all of the people in her village and he came and he believed and they all believed and glory be to God forever. Amen.